0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 199. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White at bjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going?
1: Hey, John. I am fine and dandy. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be venture neutral relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey.
0: A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Uh, Glad to hear you're doing dandy. Um, I just wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is now live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main pages show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. We're also trying to do a little bit of roll-up knowledge, too. So if we see a couple different things, you know, a pattern, we'll write a little note about that and link out to all the different parts of uh, you know places where we saw that pattern we'd love to hear some feedback on that if you are so inclined
1: do we need to capture a pattern for doing fine and dandy I mean is that something that we should put in there I didn't lose it this time I was proud
0: that's true every time in the past you say fine and dandy I think we both lose it yeah we have some emotional control now and Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it was better this time okay cool this uh, week is part two of our discussion with Nathan Bennett is that right
1: That is right. And let's review part one really quick. If you missed episode 198, we talked about Nathan's interesting path from biblical studies and being a pastor into technology. There was a time where Nathan was told that he didn't have the mental faculties to be in IT and that he needed to go back into the arts, which was actually a motivator for him to make a change. And we also heard about some of the systems thinking that carried him forward and has really become a way for him to learn each of the roles he's had really, really well. Be super valuable to those companies. And in part two, we turn the conversation in a different direction. We start off with reacting to feedback, whether it's positive or negative, and making sure that we're giving feedback from the right place. I guess with the right intent, maybe. Is a better way to say it?
0: Yes. Yes, that's a really good way to put it. I think that learning the lessons of, you know, how to motivate people from that right place is something to watch out for. From my perspective, I think it was really interesting to hear about validation as the flip side of negative feedback. I think that's something that might be interesting to listen out for. And then also that that journey and experience of finding mentorship, something really interesting to uh, to listen out for but why don't we just get right to the episode? So here it is, episode 199, part two of our discussion with Nathan Ben.
1: All the things that you said about hard lessons and getting the full context, made me think to how it applies to feedback, specifically difficult feedback, because you mentioned you received some difficult feedback from this gentleman that you were working for, and in those cases, we don't always have the full context of where that person is coming from, what kind of day they've had, when we receive that kind of feedback. So from your overarching expertise, I'd be curious as to your thoughts for people listening on how to accept and respond to difficult feedback? Because we do it in different ways. We can take it and get really depressed. We can take it and decide to prove the person wrong. We can take it in stride. What do you think on that one? This is a great question. I have
2: built my life around one main statement. My wife is going to roll her eyes if she listens to this podcast for me saying it. I cannot change what you think, how you feel, or what you should do. I can tell you these things, but I cannot change them. I cannot force you to do anything. I can only force what I can do from what you give me. If you come to me, and what this means is if you come to me angry and yelling at me, I can only control my attitude to that. If I point at you and say, you calm down before you talk to me, what does that help i have to control the environment from myself before i can control the environment outside of myself and that's that's a hard lesson another thing i'll say to that is we as it professionals spend too much times too much time in logs to say that we don't need negative feedback if you see an error message i would say that's negative feedback and I would say that pinpoints to a problem. If we get negative feedback and it throws us into depression or it throws us into a rage, I would say those are probably bad responses to negative feedback. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying to turn into a rug and have people walk over you with how they how they give you feedback. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that sometimes negative feedback has a nugget of truth to it that you can take and you can think on. And you can try to actually accept that as something that you can work on yourself. If I go to someone and say, you said that very badly, try to phrase it like this next time. That's negative feedback. Probably not the most critical way of of saying it. I didn't call them any names. So it's probably a little bit of a easier way to take it. But that person could immediately take it in stride and say, and blow it off and say, whatever, and go do the same thing again and again and again, where I'm not there to give them that feedback. But what I'm trying to get them to understand when I get feedback is that I want them to succeed. And people that give feedback to want for you to succeed are always going to give feedback that will actually help you in your career to succeed. You just have to make that slight change. I mean, this is the same with every environment that you go into. If I work at a McDonald's and they tell me to change X, Y, Z, and they probably will be unhappy about. The information that they that they give me like oh you need to move faster so that move faster that actually comes from me working at starbucks i was told you need to go faster guess what when i left starbucks i was one of the fastest working employees because they were right i didn't know where things were and so what did i do negative feedback problem what did i do solution right so negative feedback move faster problem i didn't know where things were solution i configured my space so that the milk was closer and I made it so that I knew how to basically utilize portions of milk for different drinks that I was making, right? And over time, I had learned how much was a tall, how much was a grande, how much was a venti. I understood how much it took for each individual drink. And I understood when I got to the point where that can't be used and flipped it, cleaned it, got ready for the next. And so I just turned into this, this uh, assembly line. And so I turn from being a slow afternoon worker, go to Starbucks around three, 3 PM. It's not really, really busy to, I was the opener and go to Starbucks around six, between six and eight and tell me that that place isn't busy. And that's, that's what I did. I did the driveway, the drive through for the morning for the opening. And I had to make drinks and take orders at the time. So that's just a progression. So negative feedback can be a key to how you grow your career. And how you turn something that is negative into a positive and turn that positive into success.
0: Well, it sounds like it was a slightly different context for feedback, right? They, first of all, when somebody says you're not fast enough, they're identifying the thing that is lacking. And maybe along with that, you can even get a metric for, it takes you this long to make a drink and it actually, we need you to cut it down to this. Like Maybe you got that specific metric and maybe you didn't. But at least speed leads to a metric, right? And then you used, it sounds like, a lesson that you had already learned or maybe internalized. I need to understand this entire system, not just the individual parts of the machines that I'm using to do the job. I need to understand the system as an integrated whole and then I need to optimize it for myself so that I can improve on this metric. And that is an interesting pattern you can ride that pattern for you know a long way into your career
2: i've been riding it for about 11 years now because you know my next job after after radio shack was xto where i learned powershell scripting and then i created my own journey from there because i was one of two guys that understood powershell scripting and they hired another guy who was way more advanced than i was this kid was Man, he was—he could make PowerShell sing if he wanted to. I think he did. I think he—he he made it so that like you clicked on a on a uh, Tribal Forms, which if you know what Tribal Forms is, like you—you've got some PowerShell chops right there. But he created Tribal Forms front end for PowerShell, and then made it so that you could like click different things, and it would make different sounds and all these different things from that. He used PowerShell to create a randomizer for what you were going to eat for lunch. This is probably the first thing most people write in in coding, right? But he wrote it in PowerShell and I learned from him immediately because I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And that led to connecting myself to, to mentors. Now he, I wouldn't call him a mentor in terms of life advice or career advice, because this kid was fresh off college. But in terms of technical expertise, you can look at people that understand something better than you as a mentor. And if they're willing to help you learn and grow, that is a mentorship that is well worth the time. And that's, that's, that's kind of a hard lesson to learn because you have to swallow your pride and you have to swallow your ego. But I mean, I was going to be a pastor. I mean, I was preaching to, the, to homeless shelters and places that smelled more foul than other places I've ever been in. And when, you know, when you do that, you're not slumming it by any means because you're bringing, you're doing what you believe you should be doing. But to another extent, you kind of have to swallow your ego a little bit. You're not preaching to some amazing church with a ton of people. You're, you're preaching to the people that, that really need to hear some of the things that you're saying. And you have to kind of swallow what, what pride you have and just do your job to the best of the ability that you can. And so for me, when learning from someone who obviously was smarter than me, it was just really easy for me to just walk up and be like, Hey man, can you, can you show me how to do this? I know you're new here, but this, this is really cool. I don't know how you did it. Can you you show me how you did this? His response was very funny because he was like, haven't you been here for like three years? I said, yeah, well then you should be showing me how to do it. And I was like, look, man, I'll tell you what this, this is where this is where negotiations (laughs) come in. It's like, I'll help you navigate here. Help you understand how things work. You help me understand how PowerShell works. He was like, "Okay, deal." And so we spent an hour every morning, and I'd be like, "Okay, this is the organization. This is who you talk to for this. This is who you talk to for this." Because he didn't have any like new hire orienteering or anything like that, and I knew he didn't because I didn't have any either. And then he would be like, "Okay, so what I'm doing here with this function is calling here, and this function is calling here, and this is doing this," and we just learn from each other in that way. And it became kind of a partnership. Then.
1: I like the fact that he was open to allowing you to learn from him, even though he initially thought, well, this guy should already know this. I like to
2: think that I am not a, I'm not an aggressive person. I've had moments and my wife can count on her finger the moments because she hasn't been the victim of those moments. Thank, thank the Lord. But she has been a onlooker. Most of them were around ultimate Frisbee. I used to be very competitive (laughs) around ultimate Frisbee. I don't, I don't play ultimate Frisbee anymore. (laughs) I I try to put my, uh, my demons to rest there, but the ability to just kind of be that, that humble subservient person and walk up to someone is something that is difficult for, I think all of us to do. But again, being that person that is not scary or, aggressive or intimidating by any means. I, I crack jokes a lot. I find humor to be one of the joys of life. It just, it just helps build that bridge that can learn, lead to other things like learning, like growing, like career development, or I don't know, making friends. If you want to take something from outside of the career to, you know, how can I just be a, a better person? And it's easy, it's easy for me to say on a podcast, but it's hard to do. And I sometimes have problems with it, but one of the funniest things about me is, uh, my, my guilty pleasure movie is mean girls because I don't know why, but Tina Fey is absolutely fantastic writer and I was homeschooled. So I didn't know what high school was really all about, but I love how it ended where it talks about, you know, how all, how the relationships with all these different people changed because that is just life. Your enemy could become your best friend. And I've had enemies in my career who have become stellar examples of helping me my helping me grow in my career. That's worth mentioning because you may not you may have someone that you feel like you can you're nothing like them, and you cannot find that common ground. The next thing you know, you're having it in a meeting talking to them, and you find out that there is common ground. What do you do? Do you grow it? Oh, I didn't know that you 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 like that. I like that too. Or do you just let it go because? you know, you don't want to open yourself up for the smackdown of what could possibly happen. You have more context. I I sometimes feel like we're still in high school. We're just, we're just older because at the end of the day, we're still dealing with people that we have this cultural perspective on. And we just got to try to break out of that and just understand one piece of advice that I was given (laughs) with my first job I ever had KB toys. That should date me. I was like, Oh man, I just, I don't want to bother the manager. I know he's so busy. He's such an important guy. This KB toys. And he's this manager of a KB toy store. So I had a high opinion of the guy that I worked for. He was my first boss. So I was just like, this guy's awesome. And the guy that I was talking to just looked at me. He goes, he puts his pants on the same with as you do. And I have always remembered that quote because at the end of the day, every time you think that someone's better than you or worse than you, remember we all do the same things. Uh, I think, uh, Trevor Noah always talks about going to the bathroom or pooping because it's the great equality of humanity. We all poop the same way. And I think that's a different way of saying the same thing because people are always like, oh, you know, well, some people, you know, maybe they don't have two legs, you know, maybe they put on their pants differently. I get it. Okay. You're getting way too literal with the analogy, but so let's move over here. And it's still the same thing. We're all trying to help move through this life charles dickens called it we're sojourners to the grave that's another way of of just equalizing all of us Because so at the end of the day we're all going to be the same place how, do, how are we going to help each other have a better life a better journey to that place or are we just going to try to make our life the better or like what are you going to do with that life
0: i really like that we're all human and there's probably any number of problems that you can cause in your life by putting people on pedestals and putting people on whatever the opposite of a pedestal is.
2: Yeah. Trying to stand on them or trying to climb over them. You're, you guys are really getting me to wax poetic. It sounds like a good podcast title, Waxing Poetic with Nathan Bennett. <laughs> Fantastic. Going, going back to my career, learning PowerShell was was integral to the next step, which was uh, learning V-Realize Automation. And that's where I learned JavaScript. That's where I learned what an actual developer language was like you know it wasn't all of these different functions that i could write myself it was about trying to piece all these different uh, input output signals and trying to change this information from you know x to y and all creating libraries all those different things that that you would you would actually write rather than just trying to write a script that get ad user unlock user great those type of scripts when i learned like javascript and other languages is when I started to learn kind of more the developer side. I've yet to meet a developer that uses PowerShell, and that has actually led me to other areas. Now, if you Realize Automation is when I actually met my first mentor. His name was was uh, Brett. Dude sounded exactly like Bill Clinton. I am not even making that up. He was he was even from Arkansas and everything. He just talk like this. He just had the best accent. It was Hey guys, how you doing? And it just threw me every time I talked to the guy, but. He was the guy that hit me up one day. It was like, I was doing data analytics at the time. Absolutely hated that. Again, I was using PowerShell to do data analytics. But he was like, hey, you understand scripting? I said, yeah. He's like, well, you understand BMC Remedy as well, which is what I was using to query all the information that I was pulling. So yeah. It's like, would you like to automate how a ticket is created? I said, sure, I can do that. I just need access to the database. And that's what, that was the first thing I wrote in Realize Automation was uh, in Orchestrator. I wrote a function to call to a database and create a ticket. That turned into creating tickets, work orders, change requests, assigning change requests to cabs, approving change requests automatically. And before I was done, I had basically automated the entire cab profile for creating new virtual machines and turned virtual machine builds from weeks to, I think it was 20 minutes at the time. And so when you talk about all the different pieces of context, it doesn't sound like much. But when you get what it actually did and created an organizational win, then you get, oh, wow, what you did actually matters and actually changed a lot of different things. Going back to what you said about understanding the wide perspective, that helped me there. And, you know, understanding vRealize Automation, like I'm still a VRA guy. I, I still understand why that product is so so powerful for what it can do a lot of people want to go different routes for it but i always like to talk about what is self-service what does a front-end broker look like how do you want to create it how do you want to manage it and then from those questions does vrealize automation fit that profile does ansible fit that profile does HashiCorp terraform enterprise fit that profile what fits the profile for the need and then start from there the other things that came from that is really the relationship with that mentor where he started helping me understand more about what IT is like in a bigger, bigger spectrum. Because I left after he did and he went to a job at Dell where he was like, oh, I'm making like a ton of money. Just insane money. I was still hourly. So if that tells, that says anything, but I thought I was doing pretty good. But when he came back and he was like, yeah, I'm making this. I was just like, holy cow. How do I do that? He looked at me and... He said, you need to come to an understanding. Job security does not exist in this world. It's just not there. The only job security you can have is keeping your skills razor sharp. Again, the perspective is not how do I change what is outside of me? Is that how do I change what is inside of me to make me valuable outside? By keeping your skills sharp, you always have the ability to have a person that has seen what you have done or have the ability to show what you can do, which is valuable in so many different areas in the interview process that's probably still been one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in the IT world you definitely can't say that to a pastor they'd probably look at you kind of funny but
1: in the IT world it's it's pretty much king was it also a mentor that encouraged you to get involved in community groups and doing things like blogging podcasting presentations is it, or was that something you came to on your own
2: Tim's going to hate this,
1: at least I like to still call him a mentor. I don't know how he feels
2: about this because he and I have, man, we we, we get into some hilarious discussions, Tim Davis, man, that guy showed up at a V mug and was talking about cloud assembly. He was like, Cas is going to just destroy V realize automation. And I was sitting there as a V realize automation guy. And I was like, um, question. And so it just, the whole V just turned into him and me talking about V realize automation and Cas and. One of the questions that I asked was for all those ice automation admins that are out there, I didn't know if there was anyone out there other than me, but I just said for all those ice automation admins out there, what should we do to prepare for CAS? And he broke down like steps and all these different things. And at the time, I I didn't know of a way to get to like message him or, or talk to him afterwards. I had to leave for some reason. That's probably work, something at work but at the end of all of his talks he still does this but or he puts it in the beginning he puts up his twitter handle like we like we do these days and so i was like oh got it so i messaged him i added him followed him he followed me back and i immediately was like dude great talk really appreciated it i think i also did a post that and added him on the post that hey really appreciated your talk we immediately started messaging to each other i was like dude how do i do what you do and he was like okay do you, you have a blog I said no. You said, okay, blog. Do you use Twitter? I said no. He's like, use Twitter. And one of the things that Tim said in terms of career advice was, and this is back to job security. If you ever have a problem where you need a job, having a number of followers that can just you can just immediately say, I'm open for a job is extremely powerful. And that's where like the community came in because at the end of the day, I'm a I'm a single provider for for my house, right? my wife chose to be a housewife and she now does something that is way more valuable than anything that I will ever do. And to that point, my job is to make sure that she can do her job. That is my goal each and every day. So I have to make sure if I lose my job, I got to pick up something quick because I got everything. I do revolves around making sure that she can do what she needs to do. So Tim gave me all of that information and then I had my first VMUG talk about a, a year later. Uh, I was on imposter syndrome. I mean, we can talk about that at some point. But when I was at, uh, at the job after XDO, which was uh, ECI Software Solutions, which is a great job, great people there, I was the VRealize on admin guy. And I had developed this thing in my head where I thought if I didn't get accolades or people saying, great job, I wasn't doing my job. And when you get into that point where I don't know how to phrase it, it's like, it's almost like a, like an addict,
0: you become an addict to it, to external, external validation. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes. An attaboy junkie. An attaboy junkie is a perfect way of phrasing it. A lot of people don't put a lot of value in attaboys, but to me, it was that positive log message that says success. And when you work in automation, that's, that's what you work for. I can make fun of my dad for troubleshooting code, but at the end of the day, that's what I did for so many different times. Okay. Run it. Did it work? No. Okay. Change this one thing. Run it again. Did it work? No. Change this one thing again. Run it again. Did it work? No. And then it just repeats until you get that one success. And then when you get that one success, don't touch it because now it works. Now you've created something that works. Connect that function to the next function and then move on to the next until you have a, the string of different things that are all connected and then you troubleshoot the whole. You've got, troubleshooted all the individuals and now all the individuals have to follow the in the chain and work. If they don't, then you troubleshoot the whole until you have to go back to troubleshoot the single things. Man, to a certain extent, I feel like I've just gone back to doing what my dad does. But the... Imposter syndrome came from, since I was the automation guy, I would automate specific tasks, unlocking a user, automated, put it into a self-service portal so that the service folk can just say, receive a call, they need to unlock a user, click, your user has been unlocked. Great. What's the next thing I can automate? And I did this over process of uh, about two years. And I would just get all of these accolades from all these people around the entire organization. It wasn't just my team because I I was that guy that would just get up out of my desk and walk to their desk and talk to them about their problems. It's just who I am. But after two years of getting accolade, that third year, I was struggling because I was just doing anything and everything that could get me an accolade. And after a while of not getting anything, I thought for sure I was going to be let go. I knew without a shadow of my doubt a week before I left that I would have been let go. What was actually happening was the managerial staff was asking the question, how do we create a group of Nathan's? We need to know how to make more of him. What is his skill set that he brings to the table that makes him so valuable to this company? But they never told me that. And I'm very happy that they didn't tell me that because if they had told me that, I, I don't know if that would have fixed anything or just made my junky brain go into overdrive. I needed to get away from that environment. And that was the next part of how do I change what I am to what I want to become. And I became, I took this role as an automation guy and then I turned that into a cloud guy. And yeah, I, I continually find different things that I like to talk about and like to work on. So I found out that I really like cloud native stuff. Like if you ever see a rollout in Kubernetes, you know, just do do a rollout for Kubernetes and do a, a dash wa- dash dash watch on the pods that you're rolling it out, and see how it just orchestrates the entirety of a of a code up, update. That doesn't mean much to another Kubernetes manager; he's seen that before. But me, every third Thursday, I would spend four hours running PowerShell scripts and then checking to see if it worked. If it didn't work, then the developers and I would get into a pointing back and forth where they said, hey, you didn't run the PowerShell script right. I would always respond with, there's only one way to run a PowerShell script, buddy. it's gotta be some sort of environmental variable from your laptop or something else that's missing. And we would go through and troubleshoot for another four hours. And all this time, the servers would be down. Going from that perspective to I can just run kubectl rollout and watch the pods just build, zero downtime. And then when it's ready to swap that load balancer to the new pods, it swaps it automatically. I don't have to do anything. and It's just up and running. Beautiful. Love it. So why would I not evangelize that to people that are living
1: that life? One thing I'm curious about, Nathan, when you have this junky tendency of seeking the external validation... And you change environments. I'm assuming you take that tendency with you to the new place to some extent. But what I want to know is, did you experience any kind of like detox period? Like, I don't actually need this. Or I realize that I'm seeking this. Or I still need this kind of thing. So I would liken it to, I'm dieting right now, by
2: the way. I should, I should mention that when I say this. I would liken it to feeling full and dieting because there's nothing wrong with eating. There's something wrong with eating too much. Positive reinforcement and positive statements are always going to be a part of your career. And that's probably one of the best parts of your career is knowing that what you did is something great. When you rely on them, you will definitely go through an area where you will continually feel like you are about to be let go. Like I feel that still with my job right now. And I have to deal with that mentally. In my talk about imposter syndrome, I, I say that I'm not a survivor. I am someone who is still dealing with it. Imposter syndrome doesn't just go away. Moving a, moving from one job to the other doesn't make it just go away. To your point, there was definitely a detox. There was definitely a part in my job where I was like, "There's there's no way that they would pay me to do this. I'm having too much fun. I'm enjoying myself. This is so cool. I'm, I'm learning a ton of stuff. Why would they pay me to learn all of this stuff? Why would they pay me to do all of these things? And you have to buffet that experience with what you bring to the table and why they need people like me in that area. So this goes to the whole understanding the environment. When I say the environment, though, it's not just the technical aspects we focus on that a little bit too much sometimes because we tend to forget what our role really is. We think so much in terms of, I just keep the lights on. I just focus on this. I just do this. If you're mentioning your role and you start it with, I just, you probably don't have a good perspective on what your role is because your role is so much more than that. If you say I work as a uh, networking guy and i just keep the top of X switches running or the f5 switches running i i doubt that they think that that's what you do i think they see that you bring value to it by maintaining managing updating the f5 switches and load balancers whichever f5 you're using i don't know i'm just using an analogy here i'm not a networking guy and i think they also value your ability to help other people understand it help the co- help the company grow by developing new Processes that can be used for those things, and if you think that you just do one thing, like I, I've just listed, like five other things on top of, yeah, you just do that one thing, but there's all these other things that are around it that have so much more of an impact on the organization that we lose focus on. And in my story, I lost perspective on what my job really was because it it becomes so centralized on what people said about me. Not necessarily about what I was doing.
0: So back to circling back to understanding the entire system, not just uh, I do this one thing, but this is what I do, and why is it important to the whole system? I'm I'm wondering whether that move and that detox was a conscious decision uh, with full recognition of what was going on, or was it, or did that understanding of hey, I'm you know I'm a an attaboy junkie. Uh, did that only come later?
2: So the understanding of what I was or pinpointing it to the whole Superman uh, complex or attaboy junkie came way later. I, I didn't understand that until um, after I was getting ready to do my first C-Mug talk, which was on imposter syndrome. That's when I started understanding like there's a perfectionist, there's a Superman, there's all these different aspects uh, to imposter syndrome, right? When I understood that, then I started understanding this constant feeling of "I'm not doing enough," or "I should be more perfect or i I need to go past the expectations and do better. That's still something that's inside of me. It's not going to go away. It's just not because it comes from many different places. But every time I hear at a boy way to go, I just immediately want to hear it again. So I liken it to, When you're eating something that is so good, chicken wings, by the way, is my go-to, it is hard to stop. One is just not enough. You could say the same thing about potato chips or whatever. I love talking about food. Barbecue or buffalo? It's an important distinction. I need to know. Buffalo wings. I thank you. All right. If you ever listen to IT reality podcast, myself and Richard, you'll know that Richard is a staunch blue cheese guy. I am a ranch guy and we will battle it out. It's it's like battle bots, but over salad dressings. It's fantastic. But the the idea here is that when you're a junkie on something, it doesn't necessarily mean that that something is necessarily bad because anything can be an addiction. Caffeine can be an addiction. What are
1: you talking about? Caffeine addiction. That's That's a new one.
2: personal experience i i was i was hooked on mountain dew dude i was so like i could not let it go and a lot of people are like that's not caffeine there's something in it man i don't know it but because i i stopped cold turkey on mountain dew had the worst migraines i've ever felt in my life and i swore i was never gonna be like that again with anything and so like i try to like feather my caffeine intake just because of because of stuff like that right and it's probably not even that particular thing it's just like i don't want to be that addicted to something that it 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 leads my body to fall into this type of as you mentioned detox this is more of a imposter syndrome especially with superman it's more of a a mental detox you have to you have to turn these thoughts inward and you have to try to figure out is this true or is this not if i if i do a great presentation And a ton of people are like, hey, man, good job. But in my head and in my heart, I know I could have done better. And I'm thinking, I really didn't do that good. Am I responding to this appropriately or am I delving into the depths of something else? This leads to kind of, the, we said this a long time ago, if if you get negative feedback, you can fall into depression or you can fall into anger or you can fall into one of these extremes. It's the same way with positive feedback. You got to be able to accept it for what it is and move on. If you take it too far, you'll probably lead in, into somewhere where I mean, I did this and it was great and I want to do this now. And they'll be like, uh, no, stay in your lane. You know, something like that. You might get your hand slapped or pulled back. Might not just as an example, positive reinforcement can make you go into extremes the same way as negative reinforcements. You just have to validate how to take that information, understand that nugget of truth to it and work towards a better outcome or put it into whatever you're doing. Like, for instance, a presentation went really good. Go through that presentation and say, thanks, man. What did I say that really helped? They pinpoint something on that presentation. Great. Now you know that that slide is perfect. Move on to a different slide because we're all like little tweakers. We'll all try to change different things. They say the analogy was great. Fantastic. You'll keep that analogy for all the different slideshows that you're going to do around that topic because that analogy works.
0: I think you've talked about something which is kind of universal and that is the emotional response that you get to feedback and maybe what we kind of think about and talk about as addiction just because you know different people have different biologies and our brains are wired in different ways and and react differently to you know the same inputs right if someone gives us very kind Uh, constructive feedback different people will react to that different ways like some people that'll cause like a, a huge you know stress reaction and trigger anxiety and some people will take it very well and it'll motivate them to do great positive you know constructive work to 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 grow and you've kind of talked about a similar thing for positive feedback you know different people have like a different reaction like it sounds like what you're saying is like you get that serotonin like dopamine like oxytocin like massive surge and you love that feeling but now you're suspicious of it and start to go well you know I can't rely on getting positive feedback to to cause those you know good feelings in myself and I can't, also can't trust the, the negative voice in my head that, you know, undercuts that feeling, you know, so there's kind of two sides to that coin. And I think maybe all of us need to, you know, take that learning, right? We just because we have a certain feeling to a certain input doesn't mean that that is the be all end all of proper emotional reaction. You know, you can have an emotional reaction, but it sounds like you also interrogate yourself and say, well, what is an appropriate objective reaction to what was just presented to me and sure I have an emotional reaction but how can I coach myself and guide myself to like that appropriate reaction to the what was objectively you know given to me
2: yeah I'll, I'll add to that where one thing that I have constantly used was an outsider to help be the litmus test to my own my own brain this is where mentors are I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of mentorship. If you don't have a mentor, get one. If you can't get one, I am me. I'll I'll be a mentor. I don't I'm not sure I'll be a great mentor, but I'll do what I can, right? Because at the end of the day, having someone that you can just be like, "Hey, this happened," and spelling it all out and say, "Should I be worried about this?" Like ask that question. That's a hard question to ask because that you, you're swallowing your pride to a certain extent, but ask that question because someone can respond back with, "Nah, dude, I think you're fine." Billy Downing, if you're out there, I don't know how many times he told me that when I started my job here, but that he, he coached me through that detox. And I don't know how many times I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this man. He would just respond back with, dude, I think you're fine. I I think you're worrying way too much about this. And he was right. I sometimes worry about if I'm changing things fast enough and then you got to remember that's a metric that I'm creating. Whereas the company may be like, we're changing things just fine, and it's going just as fast as we need it to be. Because if we go too fast, then we probably might be doing things the wrong way. And these are all things that you will not understand in your vacuum of your brain. So having a litmus test that you go to and ask these questions about will
1: absolutely help. I like the phrase, creating your own metrics, that made me smile, and... I'm thinking, yep, yeah, I do that every time I overanalyze the situation.
2: I feel like I feel like we all do that sometimes because in our jobs now, when meeting with customers and for a admin, a VI admin talking to their boss or, you know, meeting someone on the street and saying something to them and them saying something back, it might be something that they say that you immediately go, hmm, what was that about? Why did they mean by that? Why did they give you that look? Why did they all of a sudden give me that hand gesture? it might not be a hand gesture. It might, I would just like raising their hands or doing something weird, something right. And then we just turn into this like analytic machine of, well, it could have been this, or it could have been that, or it could have been this, or it could have been that we play this idea, this game of what's the worst that it could have been. We prepare for that. And the next time we see them, we're like, Hey, so uh, I noticed last time we were talking, you like flipped your hair to the left and you normally do it to the right. So, just want to let you know that, uh, I, am I, am okay. I I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that change that we said we were going to do. Okay. I understand that you're freaking out about it and I apologize profusely and they'll just look at you and be like, what are you talking about? There was a, there was a fly in the room and you'll just be like, cool. I'm gonna go put my hand in the head in the sand.
1: Yeah. And while we were eating, you spilled the salt. That's a bad omen.
0: Can't spill the salt, man. I just really like, you know, this idea that we should be interrogating ourselves about our emotional responses to certain situations. You know, an emotional response is this like hardwired thing. You know, it's not always reflecting, reflecting reality. And there might be a whole bunch of context that we're missing. Or we're creating context that doesn't exist in your example just then.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's not the brand building kind of content creation
0: you want.
2: There's something to be to be said about making rational choices before you let your emotions get entwined into it. So overanalyzing negative feedback or positive feedback can lead to emotions for that stuff. You need to try to cut that out to a certain degree. Some of it, we're all, we're all human. We're going to have emotional feedback if they come up to us and say, you're not smart enough to work in IT. There's going to be emotions there, but you need to try to figure out where you can take that information, put it into an area and then use that information to spurn you on to do better things.
1: And we've come full circle with that. I love it. Hey, listen, Nathan, if somebody makes the rational decision to contact you, where can they find you?
2: if you hear this podcast and are like, this guy's crazy and I need to just drag him all through Twitter. My Twitter handle is at V Nathan Bennett. I look forward to any feedback uh, because I have, I have these crazy hot takes, man. And, and uh, some of them serve me well and some of it is probably not the best, but uh, it it ended up working for me. I don't know how I've been married to my wife this long, but she puts up with me and uh, I'm very happy to have her. And then also, I write for a blog on V. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, nerdynate.life. And I'm also a co host for IT Reality. And I also blog for my job at sterling.com slash blogs.
0: I know I'm a big fan of the IT Reality podcast, but could you maybe give us the pitch for why people might want to listen to it?
2: Yeah. So IT Reality is about IT outside of, you know, the speeds and feeds. So we try to focus on, some career development we've had several discussions around how do we how do we do communication some of those soft skills how do you deal with uh imposter syndrome we did a lot around that uh how do you land that job and uh have these discussions because in it my my current cto lo- loves to refer to it as you know this this brotherhood of of people men women whatever you want to call it I'm not sure what, what you call a brotherhood without with taking brother out of it. So I'm just going to stick with brotherhood, but it's a group of people all with a designed purpose. We're all in this together and we can help each other by sharing these stories about what we dealt with. And so that's what, that's what it reality is about. It's about the reality of it, which at the end of the day, is a bunch of fleshy folks trying to figure out how to, how to get the job done.
1: And all their emotional responses. (laughs) And rational ones too.
0: Nice. And of course, you know, Nick and I, you know, just want to to say, you know, you guys need to stay in your lane and stay out of the uh, career yes, sir. advice business. Yes, leave sir. That, Sorry, leave sir. that to us. Uh, no, obviously, you know, the, I think that the more people that are talking about it, the better. And, you know, we have our Absolutely. opinions and we're hopefully trying to surface, you know, opinions from a great many sources. And I think that people need to listen to a lot of different takes on those things. And, and figure out what works for them. So, always love to hear you know more people talking about this. I think it's an underserved you know point of discussion. But but also some of the other stuff that you guys talk about too, like the uh, the the non vendor what this like uh, actual technology looks like in real life, not not what yeah. the
2: vendor is trying to tell you. Yeah, it's that's, that's the uh, beyond the sales and marketing pitch, right? So. <laughs> If you ever wanna know what I actually feel about with the uh, NSX, Tanzu and PowerShell, you can definitely listen to the IT reality. There's some definite uh,
0: definite hot takes for my, for my good and for my ilk on, on over there. We'll try to make sure that all those links are in the episode description, but Nathan, thanks so much for your time and we'd love to have you back, hopefully uh, very soon.
1: have to wonder how many people struggle with the attaboy junkie tendency of wanting to hear great job or really appreciate your work and then when you don't hear it you you get fearful I think that's probably more widespread for people in general across industries across jobs than we might realize
0: it's a really good point and I think as I was re-listening it made me wonder about Again, different people having different levels of emotional reaction to different stimulus, right? Maybe some people, you know, it hits them at a six or a seven, but some people it hits them at a nine or a 10, and then they just really need that. It just feels so good that they need that over and over again. And then not getting it, maybe you start to get a little bit of withdrawal. Maybe that's where that need comes from. And I don't know... If it's as simple as that, I'm sure it isn't, but it just feels like different people get a different level of response to positive feedback. And while we were having the discussion, it felt loosely connected, that idea of positive feedback and and how much you react to it. And then the exact same thing that we had, you know, just as far as the, the previous episode, that that reaction to negative feedback and and how motivating that can be you know those two things felt connected as well and then now that from an outside perspective it just feels like those things could be very very tightly connected and also very tightly connected with imposter syndrome right that that feeling that you maybe are a fraud that you you know as a result need that that positive feedback and react very, very strongly to the motivation of even being, you know, partially negatively critiqued. I don't know if, again, it's as simple as that, like those are all part of the same thing, but it feels like it could be. And, you know, that's something I'll have to reflect on in my own career and in my own life.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that Imposter syndrome is not one of those things like, I fell down and skinned my knee and I just need to put Neosporin on it for a few weeks and it's going to be okay. It's a constant struggle. You know, it's a long-term struggle for Nathan. And I imagine it's a long-term struggle for many people out there. They probably have a cyclical pattern that they get into. With highs and lows, days where they really struggle, days where they maybe don't struggle as much. That's where the mentor as a litmus test thing comes in. Yeah. Hey, am I overreacting to this thing, John? Tell me, am I spinning out of control? And you might be like, yeah, you are. You're on the soapbox again, Nick. Thanks a lot.
0: <laughs> I think that having an external, like, third party who can dispassionately tell you, whether your reaction makes sense on the scale that you're having it, you know, whether your emotional reaction and how it's hitting you emotionally, you know, whether that's correlated with the actual import of something, that makes sense. You can't have t- somebody telling you, hey, you, your feeling is wrong, but saying, oh, that feeling is properly correlated with, you know, what factually has happened you know, that helps you understand, oh, I'm having a really, really strong reaction to a really, really small stimulus, or not enough of a strong reaction to a really, really large stimulus. That other thing can happen as well. And that's why we need other people to bounce things off of. Just makes sense. Especially someone who has just a lot more experience, who's, you know, seen those patterns over and over again, and can you know, bring some of the that past experience to bear on that situation. Really love mentors.
1: Yeah, and they can approach things without being as connected to it or have as much stake in it as you. They can be outside the situation and analyze it in a way that you just can't.
0: Yeah, correct. And if you're having a strong negative reaction, sometimes it clouds your mind about what the proper next steps should be. Because you can even be having a correct negative reaction to a, you know, to a factual negative situation. And that negative reaction is blocking you from understanding, like, all the defensive steps that you need to be taking or, you know, mitigation, mitigating steps you need to be taking. And that is also a good role for a mentor, you know, maybe a manager, too, but a mentor for sure. Definitely helpful. I think that even with all of that, we're just kind of ignoring that journey to programmatic interaction that Nathan had, the The journey to actually delving into the developer side of things. It, it, this episode just had so much content in it. It was, it was amazing. It <laughs> really <Me> did. <laughs> Talked about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And that programmatic interaction with systems thinking too, like those those two concepts, like playing with each other, that... You know, just really, really interesting stuff going on. Anything else you want to cover before we get out of here?
1: I think that listeners would do well to take the advice on systems thinking or analyze the way it happened to Nathan and then mesh that with the lessons Joe Hughes learned about how to think at scale and how things happen at scale. And then you have this interesting overall aggregated lesson on systems thinking at scale oh, put yeah. those together
0: oh that's a really interesting that's, that's what came to mind yeah yeah very cool
1: but instead of thinking any more at scale i think we just get out of here just a reminder we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening and we want to know if we're being helpful in a pragmatic systematic way and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder we're collectively on twitter at nerd journey
0: farewell listeners tune in next time as the journey continues i'm john white and you can reach me on mastodon at uh oh jeez i don't have mastodon yet okay so you can reach me on twitter at the Journeyman. and also don't forget nick cordy at network Underwood underscore and we are signing off adios